0: This morning we're continuing this message series, Love the Berg, as we pause and talk about the importance of the fact that we love lost people. You know, have you ever in your life felt like an outcast? Like you just did not feel like you fit in? I think oftentimes all of us at some point in our growing up years, especially in those tough teenage years, we struggled with that. Because in teenage years, we try to find acceptance. and We try to find the ability to fit in. We just do not want to be an outcast. You know, growing up, I struggled with that too. And in fact, in my middle school years, I will never forget this time when me and a couple other students, we started this Bible study at our school. We met once a week before classes started to get together just to read the Bible and pray together. And this one week in particular, I, rem- I remember we met, and then we all, when the first bell rang, started walking in the crowded hallways to go to our first class. And walking down that hallway, I'll never forget I was walking behind my other buddies from the football team. And in front of them was another young man who was just with me in this Bible study. And behind him were all the guys from the football team who were picking on him and making fun of him walking down the hallway. And in that moment, I failed. Because in that moment, rather than sticking up for him, I found myself sneaking back and hiding in the crowd. You know why? Because the fear of being associated with an outcast and being dubbed an outcast myself won the day. And I wonder how often do we struggle with that? How often do we do that too? You know, here's the reality. We don't really outgrow peer pressure. Whether it's at your office, whether it's in your community, whether it's on the sideline of your child's sports game, or whatever it might be, we all struggle with peer pressure, just trying to fit in, trying to be accepted, trying to not look like the outcast. And by doing so, sometimes we make others the outcasts. And we find ourselves so often just pushing people away. Maybe it's because of their political leanings. Maybe it's because of religious differences. Maybe it's because their difference in morals. Whatever it might be, we just have a tendency, a natural tendency, just to push people away and not associate with them. But my friends, that's not the heart of God. You know, loving people is the heart of God, finding the ability to embrace, to find common ground, to guide people towards grace. That's what love is, and that is the heart of God. Did you know that Jesus even dealt with this struggle? Jesus even dealt with the struggle of peer pressure, of being put in the box of being an outcast for the people he associated with over and over again, Jesus found himself hanging out with the sinners, this, this uh, culturally outcast, the religious outcast, whatever it might be, Jesus was with those people. And time and time again, he was challenged for that choice. In fact, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus reveals the priority of his mission, while at the same time, we see these self righteous religious guys challenging Jesus when he was revealing love. Look what happens in Luke chapter 15, verse 2. It's written, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the, law, of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. In this moment, the Pharisees questioned who Jesus was associating with. They expected Jesus, if you're going to call yourself the Son of God, then you should shun these outcasts. You should put them away. You should call them out for their their wrongdoing. You should send them to hell. That's what they desired. But that's not the heart of God. That's not his heart. You see, the heart of a Pharisee is so different than the heart of God. The heart of a Pharisee judges The heart of the Pharisee condemns. It's constantly pointing out where you are falling short and calling you out. But the heart of God loves. The heart of God embraces. The heart of God guides. Guides people towards the cross, guides people towards grace, where lives are changed. Whose heart do you tend to have? I think it's safe to assume that at some level, every one of us struggles at times with the heart of a Pharisee, calling people out for their wrongdoings, calling people out for where we feel they fall short, calling people out because they have different opinions than us, whatever it may be, but that's not the heart of of God. The heart of God is love to embrace, to care, and guide You know, I can't tell you how many times, whether it's people who come through the landing, whether it's people who are just checking out our church, I get this constant question, will we be welcomed here? If we came to your church, would we be welcomed here? And they ask that for various reasons. Maybe it's because of the choices they've made. Maybe it's because consequences they are dealing with. Whatever it might be, I get this constant question, asked over and over again. You know what my answer is? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know why? Because God created you and God desperately loves you. And as a church, I hope we reflect that. Sure, we fall short. We're not perfect all the time. But I hope we reflect that. Because here's the reality. Jesus loved The unlovable. All throughout his ministry on earth, this is the man that we see. Jesus loved the unlovable because Jesus is love. He loved the outcast, those who were unaccepted, maybe because of their illnesses, maybe because of the choices they made, whatever it might be. He loved them. He loved those who who wronged him. As Jesus was being nailed to the cross, he famously said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Whether you are an outcast or whether you are doing him wrong, he loved you the same. Because God is love. And our desire here at Impact is to imitate Jesus and his love for others. Everything about the law and everything about what it means to follow God is centered around love. All the law and all the prophets point to that. You know, at another moment, in, when Jesus was being questioned by the relig- religious elite, known as the Pharisees, on what was the greatest commandment above all the laws, Jesus answered it this way in Matthew 22. He said, Jesus, He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, my friends, love is the cornerstone of who God is. In our life, we want to strive to love God with everything we are pursuing Him. And throughout our life, With his love, we want to do everything we can to let his love be what reflects from our lives and all that we do. Even in John 13, Jesus said, my disciples will be known by their love. That's what marks us as his disciple. And you know, whether we voice it or not, we tend to have a lot of excuses as to why we can't express love to somebody. We all struggle with it. Maybe it's with different people in different situations, but at some level, every one of us struggles with excuses as to why we can't love a certain person or certain groups of people. Maybe it's because of sin issues that they are dealing with. Maybe it's because of bad choices that they brought upon themselves and and they just need to deal with their own consequences of their own poor choices. Or maybe it's because of different political views or whatever it might be doing. We struggle with it. And by doing so, in our social media-driven society, we are far better at, at expressing hate than love. You don't believe me? Just go onto any news site and look down at all the comments in the news stories and see the horrible, despicable comments that people make in those stories. Go onto Facebook and spend some time in some social media group like Moon Connect and just see all the craziness and the disappointing things that people say over and over again to other people. We do a far better job at expressing hate than love, but God is love. He's love. And at impact, our desire is to let God love us and love others through us. That's our heart. That's what we strive to be as a church. That's what we want to be known for is that we are a church that always strives to let God love us and love others through us. But here's the reality. It is difficult to express love. When we don't really understand what love is. It's like that old song, right? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Come on. Don't hurt me. You know you want to sing it. No more. All right. How do you get that one line in? But here's the reality. If we don't know love, we have trouble ex- ex- experiencing love and we have trouble sharing love. And love, I've shared this before, is the component of three things that mixes all together, that creates the strength of what love is all about. Love, these three components, is passion. Passion is what draws us to the other people, that connects us to them, that is our care for them, our concern for them. Then there's this intimacy, Intimacy is the ability to be real. Here I am, here you are. I'm going to be real and honest with who you, who I am to you. That's intimacy. Commitment is staying involved with them even through the tough times. Even when they make mistakes, I'm going to stick by your side and journey with you. That is the commitment. On top of all that, everyone receives and shares love differently, and it's important to know how do you receive love? How does that other person receive love? And how am I reflecting love to them? And know this, by appropriately sharing love, we reveal that you are not an outcast. You are accepted. And through acceptance, we reveal that you matter, that you are special, that you are significant because you are a creation. You are a child of the living and active God. And when you realize, when we realize that we matter, then walls are torn down and grace begins to take place. That's what letting God love us and love others through us is all about. Did you know in the 1980s, the Soviet Union and the United States held a number of summits to try to come to terms with the two countries' growing nuclear arsenals? It was a very difficult and scary time in world history. And the country's leaders at the time was Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev. And through these sessions, through their summits, they got to know each other and they developed a personal report. And Reagan's charisma and his personal concern and warmth and ability to show that care and concern enabled him to disarm Gorbachev, who was more formal, who was more reserved. And because of their relationship, these two world leaders were able to come together, have some real conversations and negotiations, and come to an agreement that ended some ballistic missiles and was the beginning of the end of the Cold War. And these political rivals eventually became friends. Do you know Gorbachev attended Ronald Reagan's funeral? And while there, he's noted as as talking about Reagan as someone who was genuine, who was real, who was a true friend. Love tears down walls. Love wins. You know, here at Impact, ultimately our hope is to reveal His love, to display His grace. That's why we do what we do. Our hope is that love will guide towards grace. Because grace is what changes lives. Grace is the reality of the cross in action. Grace is realizing I didn't deserve it, but God wants to give it to me anyways. He wants to give hope in my life. And I don't want to keep that hope to myself. I want every person who is broken and and distraught may see and understand his hope. You know, impact is a place of grace built on the foundation of truth because within grace is truth that reveals that hope. And that is what unleashing compassion is all about. It's reflecting his love in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the difficulties and the hardships. And you know, for Jesus, when he was challenged by the religious self-righteous elite, he went into this three-part parable series highlighting his love for the lost. And each parable has a different twist on his passion for the lost as he reflects his purpose. He reflects his mission to these, to these religious elite that were trying to challenge him. I want to highlight these parables really quickly to you. And I really encourage you at some time in your own journey to go to Luke 15 and read these stories for yourself. Because they truly are eye-opening and challenging in our life. The first parable is the parable of the lost sheep. Luke 15, 4 highlights the story by saying this. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? You know, in this parable, there was a shepherd with a hundred sheep and one went astray. One was lost and 99 were left there. And the shepherd was so concerned about the loss, he left the 99. in what the Bible describes as the open country. We can't overlook the importance of that note because here's a struggle within our lives so often. What we tend to do is we flip the purpose of our journey. And we make our focus more about the 99 than the 1 and we lose sight of the heart of God. Cuz here's the reality of what the shepherd was telling his sheep. Listen, the open country, it's dangerous. It's where you relied on me to protect you. It's where you need to figure it out for yourself and make it through this for yourself. You need to protect yourself because you are God, you know what's going on, but there's one sheep that's lost and I got to do everything I can to find him. And what tends to happen in churches is, is you, we tend to hear ourselves saying things like, hey, why are we so focused on doing that? Why can't we have more potlucks? Why can't we do more things like that? Well, well, I'm not feeling fed. I, I need more stuff for me. And then we lose sight of, God, of God's purpose and God's heart when God's saying, Listen, you already got it. Fend for yourself because there's that one. You now know it, and you should be able to take care of yourself. I got to go get the one. That's what that parable is all about. And when that lost sheep was found, there was rejoicing. There was excitement because the lost sheep was found. The next parable is the lost coin. And in verse 8, it highlights this parable by saying this. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? See, this is an amazing parable of this lady that had 10 coins and loses one coin. And did you realize that one coin was worth a day's wage? It was everything to her. And so in that moment when she realized it, it was late at night. And the Bible says she turned on the lamp. And don't look at that from our culture where you just go on a got the light now, let's go look. No, she had to pour the oil in, get the lamp set, and then light the lamp. So that took effort. And then she searched diligently high and low until she found that coin. Here's the reality. This woman, she could not sleep. She was not waiting until the next day. She had to find it now. You know, too often we get procrastination uh, moments in our life, don't we? Well, it can wait till tomorrow. Maybe it can't because tomorrow might not be there. Right now, all I know is I have today. I have this moment. So we can't procrastinate the opportunities. We need to make every moment count. And when that lost coin was found, the Bible says that this woman rejoiced. She celebrated. And finally, lastly, there was the parable of the lost son. This story starts in verse 12 by saying this. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And then it says that he provided his son his share of the estate. And did you know by the son going to his father and asking this what he was saying? The son was actually saying to his dad, Dad, I don't care about you. In fact, you're dead to me. So give me what is mine, give me my money, you go on your way and I'll go on my way and we'll just enjoy life. And so the father provided the son what he asked. And the Bible then says that from there he, the son not long after that went off and squandered his wealth on wild living know something. It was his wealth. He had a lot of it, and he blew it all up. He threw it all away by wild living, by partying. In other words, the son made some really bad choices. He brought on some bad consequences because of those bad choices, and he was just beat down, and the Bible says there was nobody there to help him. He was as low as you can go. You know what really irks me sometimes? Is when self-righteous Christians complain about other people in unfortunate circumstances, claiming, well, you did this to yourself. You made those choices. Go get a job. Help yourself. And we just drive on by. That's not love. That's arrogance. That's not love. There's a young man that goes to our church and has really motivated me recently. You see... You see all those people asking for help and money in Robinson. I'm sure you've driven past them. And how many times have you driven past and you've had those same thoughts? Just get a job. What are you doing here? You can help yourself. You're, you're, you're making it all up. And we just drive past. Yet this young man, he took the time to stop. He took the time to invest in their life. He took the time to learn their story and find ways to help. That's love. Love is stopping to invest in the lives of other people. Love is saying, I'm not too busy. Love is saying, I care about you and I'm gonna figure out how I can help you. You know, for the son in this parable, he got into a pretty big mess. First, he made really bad choices and he wasted all of his money on the partying. Then a severe famine hit and it just doubled down on him. He he was really as low as you possibly can get. And in need, he went to work for some people feeding their pigs because he thought, at least I can eat what the pigs eat. So that's what he did. He worked just so he could eat with the pigs. And then finally he came to his senses and he decided, you know what? My father's pretty wealthy. What if I just go work for him? At least I can eat better if I'm one of his servants. That's what he did. And then this happened in verse 20 of Luke 15. So he got up, went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The father was just so full of compassion. He was overwhelmed with joy because his son who was lost is now found. And I wonder how often are you filled with compassion for those that are lost? How often are you filled with concern and care for the unlovable? How often are you filled with compassion for those that are deemed the outcast of of our society? For those that don't deserve it, how often do you feel compassion for them? Because the father was overwhelmed with joy. In fact, the Bible says that he ran to his son. And this was a significant moment that we cannot overlook because in order for the father to run to his son, see, at the time, the head of the household, the men, they would wear this long garb that was really kind of kept you to walking. But in order to run, he would have had to lift up his guard above his knees and run toward his son. But in order for him to do that, that was dishonorable. That was unbelievably dishonorable. disgraceful for the head of the household to spare his legs. That was awful. But the father didn't care. He didn't care what his neighbors thought. He didn't care if he was then deemed an outcast or despicable because of what he just did. Because you know what he was concerned about? He wasn't concerned about what other people thought. He was concerned about his son who was lost. And there he is. My friends, we can't be so concerned about what other people think. There's only one person that we should aim to please and he died on the cross for us and we should share that with every person we have an opportunity to because God is love. You know, they went into celebration mode. Verses 23 and 24. It's, it's written, "Bring the father." Then said, "Bring the fat and calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found." So they began to celebrate. There was joy. There was excitement that the lost son was found. I mean, have you ever lost your child, parents? Have you ever been in a moment where you just didn't know where your child was? And you get the blood pressure rising and you get all frantic and you get all, all scared and you don't know what to do. And you just feel that pressure and everything comes laser focused to find them. I'll never forget years ago, my family and I were in Disney World and we were in a crowded area. And all of a sudden I heard it the cry of a mom who lost her son. And at that moment, all of us parents stopped and were running around trying to figure out where her son was, running into stores, running into areas that were off the beaten path to see if we could find her son. And thankfully, after a few minutes, her son was found. I'll never forget the embrace that that mother gave her child because she was so frantic. She was so scared of what may happen. Did you know that's how Jesus feels towards you? Did you know that's how much he loves you? And as followers of him, he calls us to have that same passion for those that are lost, for those that are without hope, for those that are outcasts, to love the unlovable like he did. See, all three of these parables ended with a similar sentiment that there was rejoicing when the loss was found. They, all these three parables connected with this key important part point there's joy for the lost being found and my hope is that we find that same joy that we find that same excitement that we find that same compassion i mean how concerned are you for those that are lost how concerned are you for those that are hurting and broken and outcast in our society you see sadly sometimes i think we tend to be more concerned about what's in it for us rather than what others may be missing out on and that shouldn't be our heart that shouldn't be our focus. It shouldn't be about more what's in it for me. It should be how can I be better what God wants me to be, to be his hope in this world. It all comes back to that. You know, in the story, had a similar situation. The son had an older brother. Luke 15, 31 through 32, we see what the father said to him. You see, the son was so angry and disappointed that, that, that he missed out on everything, that, that the other brother was getting off easy. And the father had to say this to his son. The older son, my son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is now found. I know what the brother was struggling with. Dad, I worked every day. I gave you everything I had this brother of mine left. He made bad choices. He brought it upon himself. He wasn't here helping us for the past couple of years. I was. Yet he walks back in and you throw him a party and I got nothing? I bet we struggle with that type of thought a lot, don't we? But God's heart is, hey, you already have everything I, I could offer. You have it. Why keep it to yourself? You know, I think many of us, myself included at times, struggle with selfishness. It's just the reality of human nature. And in those moments, I reflect on these words of the Father. And I want you to make these, that verse personal. Like, I put my name in there, Bill. Like, God speaking to me, Bill, you've always been with me. Everything I have has already been yours, Bill. But we had to celebrate We had to be glad, we had to do these things because that person was lost. That person was without hope. That person was rejected. And now they're found. Though don't be selfish. I challenge you to put your name in that verse. In moments when you struggle with selfishness, in moments when you struggle with being you-focused, put your name in that verse and let God speak to you. How concerned are you for the lost, for the unlovable, for those without hope? You know, our desire is to be a place of, be a place of grace, be a place of love that guides people towards the heart of God because God loves the outcasts. He loves the sinners. And God may be calling you to something significant, whether it's in your own office, whether it's in your own neighborhood, whether it's in your area of life, or maybe he's calling you something different. I'll never forget years ago when I was still in college, I went on a missions trip um, with, my, with my home church to Haiti with a group called Lifeline. And in Haiti, there's, a, there's an older couple that from our church that went with us, Dick and Judy Stack. I love them. And, but they were kind of went reluctantly. they like, hey, I feel like God's calling us to go, but we're really nervous about that. In fact, Judy, she had several boxes of rubber gloves. You know why? Because she was scared to death that she might get some disease or something down in Haiti. But then she got down there. And she saw the people. She saw the children. She saw the broken. She saw the outcasts. And her heart just broke for them. She never opened a single box. But God transformed her, her and her husband's life that week. And then in fact, when, they, when we came back home... They realized God's calling us to something. We're not supposed to be here. And so they packed everything up and they went full time into the mission field. God transforms lives, and you have no idea what God may want to do in your life and through your life. But if you just allow Him to love you and love others through you, watch out. He wants to do great things through you. I'm excited because this this weekend actually with Lifeline is actually one of the missions we support. And we have Audra with Lifeline. Come on up Audra who is here to share us a little bit more about about Lifeline. Give it up for for Audra. Audra, thank you so much for coming and being with us this weekend and being a part of our services. And and, uh, you know personally I'm just so enthralled with everything that Lifeline does. Can you just Tell us a little bit more about what all Lifeline does.
1: I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I just want to share first our gratitude with you. Um, From everyone at Lifeline, the partnership that we have with Impact has been a blessing to us. And it's through partnerships like yours that we're able to fulfill the call that God has placed on Lifeline in blessing thousands of people's lives every year. So thank you, I just want to pass it along to you first, but it's exciting what God is doing at Lifeline. We're coming up on our 40th year of ministry this fall. And although we have a renewed vision at Lifeline, uh, our DNA is still the same. We want to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we want to love the people that we serve in the same way. Um, And we really want to help Um, spark a life on mission for God just like that story you shared and how it transformed uh, Dick and Judy's lives. We want to do that for everyone everywhere by creating possibilities for people, by igniting adventure maybe through a missions trip, um, by leading humbly, by loving generously, and serving passionately. And that's really what we want to do to help elevate people to their God-given potential.
0: Absolutely. I, I, I love what's going on with Lifeline. And, and as a church, in case you guys haven't known, we've, we've done several things with Lifeline. We've, have, um, we've had two mission trips to Honduras. We've had a mission trip to, to Haiti, one to Arizona. We've done a couple food packing events. Mm-hmm. A lot of great things uh, for everybody to get plugged into. One thing I really love going on a mission trip with Lifeline is it doesn't matter what your skill set is, um, you know, You guys do a great job at kind of connecting with that. And in their mission field, uh, they have health care. They do health care. They provide food for the community, and they provide school for those kids in the local community. And so how have you guys seen meeting those needs, Mm -hmm. bringing people towards Jesus?
1: Yeah, I could be here all day talking about the different areas of ministry that Lifeline's involved in and how people have met Jesus through those areas of ministry, but... More specifically, and just the few that you mentioned, um, I'll start with my story. My spark story started 18 years ago with Lifeline Christian Mission. My husband and I celebrated our first wedding anniversary in Haiti together. And it was then that we met a little boy, five years old, um, who we were so excited to meet, but realized when we met him, he was so malnourished that he couldn't even, um, he didn't have the energy to even dribble a basketball. And that disappointed my husband so much because he just wanted to play basketball with him. But um, 18 years later, this this young man, who's now 24, is still in our lives. We were able to baptize him two years ago in the ocean in Haiti. And now he's had his first child, so I'm a grandma. (laughs) Um, But that's our spark story. And I wouldn't be sitting here today. Yeah. Um, So we get to love on that child, too. But I think of stories like Marlene. Marlene's a mom in our um, infant nutrition program. She brings her son every single week to be weighed and fed. And Marlene came not knowing who Jesus was. And before we um, share anything with the people we serve, they hear the gospel. And she sat down with one of our doctors, and he shared with her about Jesus and what forgiveness looked like. And right there on the spot, she gave her life to Christ. Um, And that was just recent. I also think of Mary. Uh, Mary is one of our newest employees at our school in Ecuador. And Mary um, escaped all of the trouble that's happening in Venezuela right now, her home country. Came to Ecuador desperate, looking for a job, a way to earn money. Um, Super experienced and a quality um, worker in human resources. And she found out about a position at our school. She claimed to not know God at all. She didn't believe in him, didn't want to believe in him, didn't even believe he existed and we told her if you want to work for us this is who we are this is what we teach our children at the school and this is what we're about and you're welcome to work with us you're a quality worker and have a lot of experience but this is what you need to comply by and she agreed just for the job Mm -hmm. and within a month of her being at our school and the outpouring of love that our students and staff poured out on Mary Mary accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior and now we've got the, you know, the, they call them the three amigos, the staff there. They're just awesome and killing it for the Lord. So it's, I, I shouldn't use that word, but they're doing a great job. That's awesome. <laughs> but there's so many great stories like that. I'd love to share more with you. Um, I, like I said, be here all day and share yeah. more of how God is working through Lifeline.
0: And it's so awesome to see that and hear that. And there's so many ways that, that you can get plugged into. I know as a church, we, sometime in the future, similar to what we did before, we'll have another mission trip. I'm sure we'll yeah. do the food packing again. I hope so. Um, that'd be awesome. Yeah. But even if you as an individual are looking like, boy, as a family, we would want to go. Or just as an individual looking for a trip, there's a lot of great opportunities yeah. for them to plug into, isn't
1: there? Yeah, we serve in 10 countries, all of which we have mission trips to. And, and each one has a different emphasis if you're interested in sports ministry or health Um, even just through the children's homes and um, building houses in Haiti. If you're a skilled laborer, we need you (laughs) on so many of those trips. Uh, So be thinking about how God might use you. You think that you're going to go down really to help the people and fix their problems and and save them. And we are there to serve them and do for them as God called us to. But so many times we come home, lives changed. And again, that's why I'm sitting here before you 18 years later. My life was changed and God called me into full-time ministry in that. So just be prepared. Like you said, put your seatbelt on and watch what God's going to do because once you say yes and you're willing, God's going to use you to change the world.
0: Absolutely. And we'll continue as a church to have mission trip opportunities. But like I said, you don't have to wait for us. If you have, boy, God might be calling me to that. You know, talk to Audra. She's going to be out in the cafe area, outside the cafe area in the lobby. Please stop by, um, meet her and see all that Lifeline's doing and maybe ways that you can get plugged in. Even if you're like, I'm not sure if I'm going to go on a mission trip yet, just go get the information, learn more about what's going on, and just be yeah. praying for them because yeah. God's doing some great things. So what, what's some specific yeah. things that we can be praying for?
1: Or come on out to Columbus there you go. for a couple yeah, days absolutely. and volunteer in our office. There's lots of opportunity there too. But um, things that you can pray for would be just, again, that continued um, prayer for renewed vision. And we um, are, are steering our ship in a, in a direction that we believe God has called us to do. And, and after 40 years, that could be hard. Change can be hard, but it can be so good. Um, so prayer for wisdom for our leadership team um, and that we would be obedient to what God is calling us to. Sometimes um, it, it can be difficult to move in those directions when so many people are used to things being the way that it was. Um, and you know this being in church ministry, but we are excited about what God is calling us to. And we are seeing the effects of those change already and how we've empowered and equipped our international Um, staff the pastors the leaders so pray for them Mm -hmm. they're the missionary heroes they're the ones doing the work and leading people to christ god enables us to do what we do so that they can do what they do and lead thousands to christ so we are really excited about the future of lifeline absolutely thank you
0: make sure again stop by her booth after church um, in the lobby area she'd love to meet you love to give you more information about what's going on but let's just as a church pray for Audra and pray for lifeline Father in heaven, we just come to you right now. And Lord, I just lift Audra up. I lift Lifeline up to you. I am so thankful um, for their mission, for their ministry, and all the great things that you're doing through them. And uh, Lord God, I just pray that you continue to guide them. I pray for wisdom. I pray for guidance as they make decisions, as you open up doors in, in different countries, in different areas, that you will just lead them to where you want them to go and that you just continue to use them for mighty, mighty things. Mm-hmm. Lord, I pray for all their, all their missionaries in the different countries, Haiti, um, uh, Honduras, Ecuador, Guatemala, Cuba, just to name a few, Lord God. There are so many great workers over there in those countries right now, and we just pray for their protection. We pray for their safety, and we just pray for your, your spirit to move in mighty, mighty ways. Mm-hmm. Lord, we love you so much, and we thank you for the opportunity to serve you in this way. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen.